Well, I'm here with Sean Blanchard, and it's a pleasure, sir. I've been looking forward to talking with you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. We're looking for young leaders, especially in the city of Detroit. You've done some great things. You're still a young man. How old are you, Sean? I'm 35. Good for you, man. You've got a bright future. We are uh, looking for your story today. We're going to talk a little bit, little bit about an event that we're doing together. You're going to be speaking to the Troy Rotary and Detroit Rotary at the Detroit Athletic Club on September 12th. We're looking forward to that. We'll have some registration information in the comments down below. But you've done a lot to get invited to an event like this. Give us a little bit of your story, a little bit of your background. Well, you know what? So, and, and it's a pleasure to be invited to such a place. The DAC is such a historical place in the city of Detroit. Yeah. So to be able to speak before the Rotary Clubs, that's awesome. I'll say this, I'll, I'll give a bit of background and bring some things current day. Background wise, I was born with drugs in my system. So before the CNNs and the, the Forbes and the, you know, the black enterprise and all that kind of stuff, before all those things, I was a, a kid with drugs in my system with seven brothers in which three are unfortunately deceased and three of them have been to prison. Uh, interesting thing, my oldest brother um, has life in prison with 11 children. And one of my brothers that was in prison actually came home just last week after 12 years and oh. uh, living with me right now. And <clears throat> so that's, that's definitely a journey of mentorship that we're taking now. So, so is that a younger brother or, or an older brother? He's a younger brother. Okay. He's a younger brother. I actually raised this, this younger brother. I took him with me throughout high school, even when I went on to the University of Michigan, by the grace of mentorship, um, I took him with me. So growing up was interesting. Um, made it to the University of Michigan and took my younger brother there and, and raised him to the best of my ability. Even there, growing up, I had a number of mentors that weren't the, the most positive, I would say. I, I sold drugs. I did scams and jewelry scams and even found myself at the University of Michigan going to jail for uh, doing a, a jewelry scam. You did? I did. Wow. While at the University of Michigan. So sometimes a young man can be, or a young child can be academically sound, but mentally and ethically not just there. And That's so- That's an interesting uh, way that you just put it because I think a lot of people, you know, we almost receive memes about people, especially celebrities, you know, and, and a lot of times people say, well, I quit drugs like that. The implication is like that. They don't say like that, but I quit drugs. Right. I had a life of crime and then I, and now I don't. And we right. think it happens like this, like, you know, blink of an eye, overnight, snap of the fingers. Right. And it doesn't. We have lessons, and then we have relapses, then we have another lesson, then another relapse. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting for you to say, because I bet you had some breakthroughs before college. I mean, you must have in order to get to your right. home. That's right. You're right. So even throughout high school, there was a number of deaths from uh, my brother who was killed in drug transaction. And, you know, I had my mom who was going to prison. And I had my dad who died. I had another brother who was shot by the police numerous times. And, and he went off to federal prison as well for yeah. tax evasion. And so there was a number of things that were wake-up calls that said, you know what, I can't do these things the same way. I tried to be a smart criminal and do things differently than my peers. I wouldn't stand on a corner for anything. I tried to be a bit innovative with my multiple streams of income. Uh, but, you know, it still ended up in jail regardless. Um. You mentioned at the top of the call that you were born with drugs in your system. Uh, I, know, I know a little bit about you, so I, I understand that, but maybe some people don't quite understand what you were saying. You were literally born with drugs in your system because your mother was a user? 
That's right. So my mom, she was actually using uh, crack cocaine while I was in the womb. Of course, all the alcohol and marijuana and things of that nature, but substances like crack cocaine are severe substances, right? So yeah. I, there's typically young people can have birth defects, mental defects, and a number of different things of that nature from having harsh substances in their system. Well, we hear about alcohol abuse in pregnant mothers or pregnant mothers that uh, take in alcohol. I assume it's worse with harder drugs. It's harder on the, the fetus, yeah? Absolutely. At least that's what the doctors say. Um, okay. There's studies going on now to see what the effects are from those 80s babies that were the crack babies um, to see what are the ramifications at this point. But they projected very severe ramifications. Mm. And some of them have been severe and some of them have been like me. So you had these breakthroughs and then relapses and breakthroughs and relapses. Can you tell us about a couple of seminal moments in your life, Sean, that helped you understand exactly how bad things were or exactly how good things could be? Absolutely. I, one of them is a situation where, you know, I would say something where something's bad, then good. We'll go there. For bad, when I was at the University of Michigan and I was actually in a jail cell on TV and I saw myself with that orange one piece on with a mugshot. It was a moment in time where I was looking through bars and seeing myself on a television, a very small one. And when I saw that, I just said, wow, like, you know, Sean, you're at the University of Michigan. I knew nothing about college, but at the University of Michigan, I understood it once I was there and I'm like, man, I'm playing with the opportunity of a lifetime. Um, so in that particular moment, Staring at that TV was surreal for me because I saw myself losing a chance. And then I would say that was a bad moment that was surreal, but giving me an epiphany. Another moment was when I was actually in high school. I actually had a mentor. She was beautiful. She was my counselor. And she told me that I could be a Michigan man. And I believed her. I didn't have any rules in high school or anything like that. But I just knew that she told me what I could be. And I believed her. And that's where mentorship was initiated in a more positive light in my life. And that's something I've been leaning on for the rest of my life. Good for you. So uh, your degree in, at U of M, did you finish? That's right. So I did get a degree in mathematics and economics. And um, I went on to uh, New York City to get a master's degree in secondary math education. And over there, I even ran math departments to the top 5%, adopted young people that had all types of issues where selling weed, smoking weed, selling cars. But by the time I finished with my adopted young, young man that I had, he was a senior class president, uh, 29 ACT, uh, 3.8 GPA, accepted to every college he applied to with a full ride to the University of Michigan in Morehouse. Wow. So mentorship became very real, not just to me as receiving it, but it became real to me as far as giving it. Excellent. You're a millennial, correct? I am. And even to, even to rectify even those years, they say millennials are between 1977 to 2004 with the, the vast spectrum there. Um, but yeah, I am within the cohort of millennials. And you have a degree in math, mathematics and economics. Can you do long division? Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I, heard a great, uh, I heard a millennial speaker the other day. He was riffing on the fact that... Uh, that he can't read cursive, he, he can't do long division. Uh, yeah. and, and what's interesting is you've used the millennial platform as kind of a, um, I don't know, a megaphone, yeah? That's right. And I think that because I believe that millennial, it may be a cohort of a generation, but I believe it's the time period in which we live in. You see, today we actually have 
the highest rate at which people become millionaires in the history of America, in the history of mankind. Yeah. So with us being able to generate so much wealth is because of all the technology and the things that we're able to take advantage of that were closed doors before. So in today's society, I'll tell you that every day there's 1,700 new millionaires a day currently. That's amazing. That's fascinating. It is amazing. And it, and it underscores how much potential we all have if we could pull our hands out of our head out of our sand and, right. uh, and figure it out. That's right. This yeah. is the age of innovation. And so I'll even tell you uh, what happened was after that degree, master's degree in secondary math education, I went on to law school and really excited to even be appointed as a director of youth services and even work with President Obama and <clears throat> able to raise over $7 million right here in the city of Detroit with a collective team to put over 5,600 young people to work for the city of Detroit. Uh, wow. during the and I understand you, you either, you have worked with Mayor Duggan, maybe still working with him on these types of initiatives? That's right. So I have worked with Mayor Duggan. Uh, I was a director of youth services for two years here in the city. Uh, that's a, he's a very intelligent man. I, I really respect his leadership. And um, I definitely, you know, will continue to work with him in different capacities, whatever that may be, and even sign the back of my book with a nice warm recommendation. Well, you can't beat that. Good for you. The, uh, you've got uh, one book out and another one coming. Tell us about the first book. It's got a compelling title. So the first book is called How About That For a Crack Baby? Keys to Mentorship and Success. So it's all about really the science of mentorship. And I actually have a TED talk about it as well. And so with that science of mentorship and the journey that takes place that enabled me to leverage mentorship for self um, and be able to make sure that other people can take advantage of it as well, that's something I believe that everyone needs to take advantage of. They say that every person has mentor when they're young, 90% of them grow to become mentors. It's important for us to do this for society as a whole to make sure we can give back to you and continuously do so. I love it. Your TED Talk, was it in Detroit or someplace else? You know, the TED Talk was in Muskegon. Oh, okay. So northern, uh, a bit further north in Michigan. We'll have to get you hooked up with Charlie Wahlberg, my friend that runs the TED Talk here in Detroit. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. Um, you've got a second book coming out. Is it too early to talk about it? No, we could talk a bit about it now. Okay. And this is the, this is the millennial platform that we talked about. Uh, you've got a title, yeah? That's right. The book is called Millennial Mogul, okay. and, and it's 10 principles and stories to get your ship together, mentor, okay. entrepreneurship. Good. And, you know, what it basically talks about is the fact that today is the time and period where people are generating wealth in astronomical numbers, and it's a time period to take advantage of. It is that generation that they call millennials, but it's the period of time that we live in. We live in, in a millennial time period. So you can look at a lot of people that's taking advantage of social media platforms, such as even this podcast right now. What you're doing right now is taking part in a millennial effort. And it's not just taking place upon a generation, it's taking, upon, upon, it's taking place upon innovation. Oh, yeah. Technology is helping with this. I think, um, I think the young mindset helps with it a lot because some of the oldsters, they just can't get their head around technology and some of the opportunities. The world's becoming a smaller place, all that kind of stuff. You run a business as well, maybe a couple? That's right. Tell us about them. So essentially what I do, of course, I'm an author. Of course, I'm a speaker. I also have an online school for author speakers called Author Speaker Secrets Academy. All right. And in addition to that, I have a publishing company because people who want to actually publish books 
Um, I enable them to publish books through my publishing company. And I'm also a co-owner of a custom suit company. Not suit that you sip, but suit that you wear. You're doing just about everything. We got to get you a cooking show. Well, you know what's funny is I like to call these things harmonious verticals. So okay. it's a matter of the author, the speaker, the online school for author speaker, the publisher, and while I come, I'm wearing a suit. So That's I like good. to make sure that everything is sewn together very well and makes sense. I love it. It's very authentic. It's a beautiful ensemble. There we go. I like that. So um, let's talk about some more difficult topics. Um, the world is filled with angst and emotion and anger and about topics that used to be fairly easy to understand. Let's talk about young versus old. This idea that uh, somehow uh, millennials are trouble, millennials are lazy, millennials are um, problematic for us. Mm -hmm. Millennials, oh my gosh, millennials are gonna take over. Yeah, What, what yeah. are your views on this? You know what, and I love, I love to hear all those types of topics, and that's why I wrote the book, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing is, there is this energy about millennials just being trouble. And I believe that every generation that comes along is trouble to the last one. Hmm. So what I believe also is that with this particular generation, it's the concept of knowing that by year 2020 is projected that half of the workforce will actually work from home. Hmm. So we're changing pretty drastically, changing the face of traditional work of the traditional workforce. Hmm. There's going to be a shift from employees to contractors. Hmm. There's going to be a shift in doing things hourly and doing things project base. So what we want to look at is like, you know, how do we retain them? We retain them with that shift. And you'll be there. The profit margins can be higher. The innovation can be greater. The actual ability for people to actually take ownership over the projects rather than wasting people's hours of time is going to be greater. I look at it as a shift of making sure that our time period and the period in which we're making the shift in can mm -hmm. be greater. Like I said, there's 1,700 new millionaires made a day. In America, there's one in in America right now, there's one in 20 people that's a millionaire. That's astronomical. Hmm. But that's because of this millennial time period, not just a cohort of people, but the mindset of innovation that hmm. we need to live in. So I believe people should embrace it because if you buck at it, you can be lost in the past. Yeah, you know, uh, somebody told me a while back that the, the, the two differences between young and old that uh, illustrate the whole thing pretty well is that the older generation was taught to remember. This was pre-internet, right? Mm -hmm. We were taught to remember things if you're an older person. But if you're a younger person, you can just look it up. Mm -hmm. and, and already we've got a little difference of how, how those two groups work. The second, right. that I was really taken by, the second difference I was really taken by was that the older generation is a top-down generation. You know, command and control, the military, right? And org charts. And younger people don't recognize org charts. They work in hives. It's not important to them who's in charge as long as they can have communication with people like this. I find that fascinating. And I think eventually the older people that don't understand this are just going to time out. That's true. I agree with that. Hmm. Yeah. Another, another uh, difficult topic is the uh, rich and the poor. Uh, I don't think that the, it's, it's often positioned, Sean, that the rich people understand the poor people or that the poor people understand rich people, but I don't think either group understands the other. I what, like, what's your take on this? You know what? I think that there's a, a vast difference. And so, and it's very hard to meet people in the middle because if you're on the side of the rich, it's difficult to empathize with the difficulties of the poor. 
right. what you do what you do see is people who may have excuses mm-hmm. people who are not working hard enough or putting enough hours into something mm-hmm. and because rich people some people that may be rich some people may be born into it some people work extremely hard for it mm-hmm. so when you see people that are getting assistance from government mm-hmm. you see them not working as hard in school when you see their systems that are broken and it doesn't seem like people are doing enough to fix it, there gets to be this grudging, uh, this grudging distance between two people. And on the other side, when you feel like you're working hard because basically you're trying to work as much as you can, but if you know you make a little bit more money, you can be cut off from all of this assistance that you have. And you were born into this cycle of hardships and the things you have to put up with makes it very difficult on your way to school. So by the time you get there, you're tired and hungry and it's hard to see school as an avenue of achievement. Mm-hmm. There's a great divide between making sure that someone who has more money understands that situation. Yeah. So there needs to be some people that stand in the gap in the middle that care about it to bridge that conversation. And I believe I'm one of those people. Yeah, me too. I like to think I'm in that group as well. On a related note, let's talk about black and white. We made a lot of progress with this and yet, and yet the, Mm -hmm. the divisiveness is stunning. Mm -hmm. Even now, this interview is taking place in 2018. Even now, there's a lot of stuff going on. I didn't know what was going on before. Maybe you knew the whole time. But it, know, is, it is ugly out there with some people. My gosh. It's, it's really ugly. And you know what? This is what I think. I think that these things have been going on. I think that this isn't anything new. Hmm. I think this is something that social media and our camera phones and the way that people put information into the world I think we're picking up on the things that were already going on, but with the cover of positivity. Now we live in a very raw age where we're going to actually see all the issues to attack them. I'd rather actually communicate with someone or understand someone that dislikes me for the color of my skin than actually not know that they dislike me and think everything's okay. Hmm. So I think we're living in that age where we can actually get to the root of the problem when we understand that there is a problem in the first place. It used to be that people would say, uh, especially uh, African-Americans would say, you know, if we just talk about this, things will get better. We need to talk about it. We can't ignore it. We need to talk about it. But I think there's more conversation about this than ever, and things are getting worse. Is it because, I mean, what's your opinion? Are we not talking about it in ways that are helpful? You know what? I think that we are talking about it, and I don't think it's getting worse. I think the conversation is taking place. Okay. And so I think that we're going to, we need some of, this, some of these things to, to transpire in order to grow as a people. I think that what happens is the way that we grow as a people is we have to have the, the whole concept of an enemy. There has to be some type of enemy somewhere. But what people are going to understand as we continue to grow is that the, the enemy is going to change from being a physical person to being a concept or idea and let that be the enemy. So case in point. We crowd together when there's war. 9-11 took place, and now we're Americans. We're not black and white now. Right, we're, that's it. That's exactly what happened. Brand new enemy, right? Yeah. Our enemy needs to be obesity. It needs to be poverty. It needs to be police brutality. The enemy needs to be something that's almost invisible that we can all band together as people and come together for. Yeah. And having these conversations, I think we're banding together for more of that. Because it, just like us having this conversation, right, the case, the point of case is, Two intelligent men having a conversation. This is a whole new version of abolitionist and black guy, right? It's a whole new version at this point. So I think that there is a massive progress 
and massive realization of where we really are, which I think is overall progress and better for the trajectory of our future. I love it. You're an impressive young man and I hate you, not because you're black, but because you're young. <laughs> <laughs> you have such a bright future, man. You're going to go far. Thank you. I appreciate that. Listen, um, we want to once again promote on September 12, 2018, Sean Blanchard is going to be our keynote speaker at the Detroit Athletic Club. This event is sponsored by the Detroit Rotary Club and the Troy Rotary Club. We're going to have over 100 people there. It's going to be a very enthusiastic crowd. Uh, I hope we get to record some of your great uh, information and, and viewpoints. You're a superstar, man. I'm proud to know you. Oh, man, it's a pleasure to have this conversation. It's a pleasure to know you, too. All right, Sean, we'll see you soon. Thanks so much for all you do. All right, thank you.